to the Giles Files, and my name is Nancy Giles. On the Giles Files, I'll be examining all kinds of stuff, talking to people in the studio, talking about people who piss me off, pontificating, postulating. The Lewis Black anger button, which I just, my, my friends bought. Shut the fuck up! This is just genius, Lou. And this is Lewis Black's, I'm going to read, Frustrated Union of Cynical Kindreds Universal. So it's F-U-C-K-U. Yeah, my uh, fan club. How did this come about? Don't be stupid, shithead. I've got this, um, you know, bobblehead that does it. But the idea was to give, have a button that you could just slap and, and so it could be sold cheaper. But... Once it's paid for, all the money from that and that bobblehead go to a whole bunch of um, charities that I give a shit about. Oh, Lou. Yeah, well, it's, well, that it's is. great because they, that sold, during Christmas, that sold like crazy. And, and I know, uh, I, I know. My friends bought this. Friends that came to your concert. My friend Therese bought it for her husband, Patrick. Oh, yeah. It's his favorite present. Oh, that's great. Yes. Full disclosure, despite his bad language button... Lewis Black is an absolute sweetheart and a longtime friend who took time out from his crazy schedule to do this interview. Lou is an actor, playwright, New York Times best-selling author, and a brilliant and celebrated comedian. His back and black segments on The Daily Show are shut the front door funny. He is up for a third Grammy for Thanks for Risking Your Life, a comedy special he recorded just as the pandemic hit. We talked to Lou about life during COVID. Uh, I was going to ask you, like, where you were when COVID began, quote unquote, last year. And then I realized, no, 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 it's two. What's almost two years ago. Yeah. And my my brain is so foggy. I guess I'm wondering for you, like, how have you been able to write and create and do stuff during this weird fog filled pandemic? I haven't. (laughs) I haven't. So uh, I I didn't. I didn't write. I barely read. Uh, My act is really about the way in which I responded to the whole thing. Um, You know, it was mostly I wrote. I mean, and it was the first time ever I had to write my act out. It was going to be writing it out and then go on stage and just say it the way I want to say it. Uh, It was like notes. What do you mean it's the first time you wrote it out? Do you normally stand on stage and just start talking as opposed yeah. to, is that how it goes? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's real. I write on stage. Uh, wow. I take notes of what I'm going to talk about and then I go on stage and do it. I now remember that uh, the second part of my act will be um, my mother uh, said before I went out on this tour uh, that uh, to remember that uh, shows aren't important. People are. And all I wrote down, really, and my mother said it to me, so I just, all I had to do was put uh, mom shows, and that's what I have in my notes. And so then, I, and I'll tinker with it, and then the next night I do it, I tinker with it some more. Mm-hmm. Here are my notes, like this. Uh-huh. Just chicken scratch. <laughs> it's pathetic. Look at that. I, I love handwriting. That. Yeah. yeah. My mother's is better. Uh, <laughs> You know, so it's learned, my my note is learned nothing. There's the note. 
She says she's not a day over 97. Oh, wow. But she's 103. <laughs> so sometimes she's here, sometimes she's there. <laughs> and uh, she doesn't have Alzheimer's. No. No dementia. Great. She has something that doctors haven't diagnosed. Uh, she just makes stuff up. <laughs> and, uh, she, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, many... Uh, you know, you've got uh, Branson and Bezos and uh, Musk all have spent billions and billions of dollars to get out into space where, where she's out there more than four or five times a day. <laughs> and they're, they're spending that kind of money. And I, I call where she's living her assisted living home. It's a launch pad. <laughs> and uh, she's able to... She's doing this, not on, on, on pennies, really, because she's able to do this. Her fuel is actually oatmeal. <laughs> when I first met you at the West Bank Cafe many years ago, very yeah. smart, very insular East Coast New York audience at midnight, there till three o'clock in the morning, and then we would stay and talk about how funny we were, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I started wondering, because you're now like a nationwide comedian and I, I was thinking does Lou have to change his act or alter it a little bit depending on where he is and I guess you you've found ways to finesse your work so that it has a wider appeal is that right I uh or, 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 they, or haven't you I, maybe I'm no wrong. I haven't partly what I was was the it was not what I was saying it was the way I was saying it um when I first started out as a club comic, I was screaming it. <laughs> so I, everything I was screaming, and my friend Kathleen Madigan told me, uh, she opened for me, and she said it was unbelievable to watch because I'd go on stage, and it'd be the first eight minutes, nobody laughed. And wow. I, and, it was, and I didn't notice it <laughs> at all. And then they got what I was doing, the, the performance of it. Right. The performance was as important as what I was saying. Because I don't think, because I was scaring them. A, because I was not stopping. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, part of what created my uh, persona was is I didn't really stop because I was afraid of hecklers. So I wouldn't stop to give them any room. And, uh, uh, and I was yelling. <laughs> and I'd start at like six yelling and go to 12. That's fascinating. I didn't know that you were afraid of hecklers. I never would have thought that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But then once once I got over that, now it's like, uh, come on at me. Let's. <laughs> once I got the deal with hecklers, because what I realized with hecklers, which is really, if they're not drunk, drunk. Right. Um, or they're not um, uh, angry to the point of obnoxious, you don't. You really don't have to say anything. Because they will knock themselves out, because they're because the audience is on your side. Mm -hmm. And then I went, wait a minute. Then you know you don't need to worry about this. They're gonna they're gonna do this on their own. But yes, the new wellness rage is CBD, marijuana's less fun cousin. They say it has all the benefits of weed without the high. But then what's the point? <laughs> I only smoke weed to get high. I'm not doing it to make friends with white guys who love reggae. <laughs> so the whole world is doing CBD. But there's one tiny issue. 
The B in CBD might stand for bullshit. So we don't know if CBD works, but we do know it makes a buttload of money. Basically, CBD is Ivanka Trump. <laughs> and if you're a CBD user who's getting angry because I said it doesn't work, guess what? You getting angry means it's not working. What was the first nighttime talk show you were on? Were you on Letterman? Did you do no, Letterman or no. Conan? Which one? Conan. Uh, I think it was Conan. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was Conan. He was the first one to open. Okay. He was tremendous. I mean, yeah. he, I was on a lot. But Ferguson was fun. I was going to ask you about that. I remember seeing you on his show. I loved yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, he was really a pleasure. Please welcome the adorable, sensational Louis Black, everybody. Louis Black. What's going on, buddy? I, uh, I didn't want to come out here because the, the two makeup artists you have, that's the hottest makeup room in America. Yes, it is. Yes, Why it is. I would want to sit here with you when they would make me up. Not that I don't like you. And I love chatting with you. Oh, sure. But I wanted, you know, I'm sitting here going, would you, would you just give a little dusting to my chest? <laughs> I would come on and he would take the cards and he'd rip them up. Oh. And so the first time we did it, halfway through, he just started bouncing off stuff. And, and the second time, once he realized that I was fine with whatever the fuck he wanted to throw at me, mm -hmm. then we discovered the third time that we lived in the East Village at the exact same time and went to the exact same bar. No way. And, yeah, and that, that's what makes it an interesting interview is, is that you're discovering something. Are you in therapy? <laughs> yeah. Are you really? Of course. Yeah, yeah, you, I have you, to. Or you are. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. You yeah. have to be. Yeah, yeah, I have to be anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah. Every yeah. night after night of this, you have to be. <laughs> no, this, this is kind of my therapy. <laughs> I would be terrible if I didn't have this. I mean, I know I'm terrible during this, but I'm also... <laughs> but then you have to go to somebody to talk about... Yeah, well, about... well that's the thing. You're a stand-up comedian of a great success, so you're clearly, you know, troubled and insane, probably. <laughs> I have, uh, some problems. <laughs> you want to talk about them? Come on, man, let's talk about your dreams. What kind of dreams do you have? Oh, you're going to be Freudian? Freud, Freud's full of it. Freud, Freud basically, oh, uh, you know, it's all got to do with sex. Well, the guy was doing tons of cocaine. So what else would it have to do with? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's your penis. Yeah. Okay. So we're saying that the father of psychoanalysis was a cocaine addict that was obsessed with his penis. Yep. I have to agree. Right. <laughs> I want to talk to you about your stand-up, uh, the uh, Off the Rails stand-up tour. Right now, tickets are available at lewisblack.com. But this is uh, you're one of my favorite stand-ups, and you went through 500 days of not doing anything. You're in lockdown. Yeah, I was in lockdown, and uh, and now with Fallon, uh, I wish. I'd feel a lot more comfortable doing it once I got right off the road on December 19th mm -hmm. if I went and that week I did Fallon. Because then you're in that, you're your in brain that is mode. in that mode. 
Now it's been, I've been off since December 19th. So you haven't done any live shows since then, and now you're going on, on Fallon. And now I'm going on Fallon, and it's like, and so it was like uh, one of the things about talking, this is helping, you know, because it's <laughs> like, oh, it's, make, well, it's making my brain, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, yeah. and, and he's going to do this thing called, it's a, something about your opinion, so at least I've got some sense of what it'll be. Now, here's how it works. I'm going to hit this this button here, which will activate a, an opinion topic generator. Okay. It'll land on a random topic, and whatever it is, you, you just give your opinion on it. No problem. Here we go. Let's do this. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> oh. oh, vaccines. Oh. Ooh. Oh. I'll tell you this. I've been triple vaxxed. Uh, if, if, if I could fill my bathtub every day with the, with the vaccine, I'd hop right in it. I would, I would wash myself with the vaccine. I got no problem with it. I, I, look, we live in a country, I don't understand why people don't do it. They're taking supplements, we've scarfed them down. We spend billions of dollars, we eat them, we eat supplements like they're candy. CBD oil, for God's sake. It comes from a weed at the side of the road. And people are like, oh, chuggy, chug, chug. I take something called ashwagandha. It's an herb that comes from India. It's supposed to calm you down. Doing a great job. (laughs) Thanks. uh, Thanks for risking your life. There have been times when I've been kind of shocked that people show up, but if, if the stock market hadn't crashed, I would have I I been able to give each of you a prize. Well, we were on tour, and it was the last day, literally, we were going into a lockdown. And they almost, we almost didn't do the show. The show the next night was canceled, and I knew that I'd be going home after this show, and I thought, Wow, you know, uh, you know that it, the, all these fifteen hundred people in a room, close together, and I knew what that meant. <laughs> Fuck! I mean, this is the level of desperation that you're at is because I thought about it, it's called you know thanks for risking your life, and I said you know after the show mm-hmm. I thought you know what if these people di- actually died. You know, there's 1,500 people. What if they all died? Who, nobody knew anything. Then they, then they would have said about me, what, what a legacy to leave behind. <laughs> you know, he, he went out, he killed his audience. And they went, you mean he made them laugh? No, I mean, he killed them. Every one of them <laughs> dropped dead. He laughed to death. I know. Yeah. <laughs> he literally killed. He killed. Yes, he, he killed, killed it. it. <laughs> he killed it. Yeah. And it's the, it's the first time in the history of those jokes where it actually crosses. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, where the, where, the, where the joke and the death cross together in, Holy you know, mackerel. where the two uh, meanings of the word cross. Oh, my God. I know. Lou Black, a super spreader event, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is there yeah. anything that you, that you think we, we can't joke about? Or, or are there things that you've You would not joke about. You wouldn't joke yeah. about? No. Um, the only thing that I've found hard is, uh, abortion. Hmm. Because I know that's sort of taboo. It's too divisive. I haven't Mm -hmm. found any, I haven't found a way in, Mm -hmm. uh, to it because it's that thing that you, you, you know, it's like you're at a, 
dinner, a family dinner at Thanksgiving, and you bring it up, and then people go berserk. It's just such a, a, a lightning rod. Yeah. Uh, and I just haven't found the joke. I mean, I, what I did do was I, the only thing I ever did was to use it as a word of, uh, on stage. I would use, I would say the word and then talk about how, uh, why I wasn't going to talk about it because you could. Feel, I said just by saying the word, you could feel every anus in the room tighten up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's as close to the joke as I could get. Can we talk a little bit about? Um, I hate even calling it cancel culture because. I don't even know what to call it, but like I don't even I don't even understand. I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, the extra the extra attention it seems that's going to comedians for their subject matter. How would you describe it? I, you know what's going on? I don't really know because I don't I don't pay enough attention to it. Oh, that's uh, good. I so it's not I, it's not inhibiting you in any way in what you are saying or what it's. Yeah, not, you uh, haven't uh, gotten yeah. you haven't gotten any pushback. Uh, I, I think about it from time to time. Like I'll do an interview on a radio or something and I'll think, did I, uh, less now, but initially I would think, God, did I say something? <laughs> did I say something I shouldn't have said? Uh, will I get, and now I, I find my, I'll say something and then I'll go, don't send in stuff. Don't yell about this. This was, you know, a joke. It's going to affect nobody. Uh, it, nothing will happen because of this. Uh, this will disappear completely tomorrow. Uh, don't bother the folks here. But most of the time, uh, I don't uh, pay attention. You know, And then when they ask me, I don't really know what to say about um, Dave Chappelle's thing. I just, I didn't really watch it. Uh, I, you know, I think Dave's, I thought his television show was beyond belief. Oh, my God. Brilliant genius. genius. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, but I, I don't really listen to Dave's stand up only because you know after a few years have passed because um i don't listen to people who kind of might i might uh end up getting some stuff from and not and it goes into your brain and then you kind of do something with it or it's something that i might not have thought of yet and i'd like to stumble on it on my own and not so i kind of ignore it and it's not just dave there's a a number of them i don't really watch until later i mean Mm -hmm. um uh, so when they were yelling and screaming, they said, what do you think? And I go, here's what I think. I think, uh, it doesn't matter. I think that the only thing, and I, the only thing I said that I read about it, which I thought was smart was that comparing what he was doing to what George Carlin was doing in terms of this type of incident with, uh, uh, the LGBTQ community was, is that George Across the line, most of the time, in terms of of going after uh, those in power, right? And was it wrong, in a sense, if you if you didn't find what he said funny, did you feel that he was, you know, that what he was doing was attacking those who weren't in power? Those are not that it doesn't cross the line. He and George don't cross the line there. They cross the line in a lot of other ways. And uh, but I, you know, it's that people ask you that, and they go, I don't want to sit here and go in judgment on on other comics. I, I, I just don't, uh, it doesn't feel right. It, it you know, if, ask, ask somebody else. Ask somebody who gives, gives a shit. I said, <laughs> you know, I said, yeah. he's not changing the world. Okay? Yeah, I mean, people seem to be more bent out of shape by something a comedian says than stuff that's going on with legislation and policy. 
I thought we would uh, segue into the Me Too movement. Nancy and I have been reeling this week about Chris Knopf. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that. And Yes. Oh, yeah. We're on Chris's side. Are <laughs> you? Yeah, because, you know, we don't know all the facts. It just seems like, damn, you guys. Fire him from every show he's on now. And he hasn't even been, hasn't nothing's been come out yet. It's just on these women say so. I don't understand that. Yeah, no, that I agree with you. My shrink agrees with you, too. Just basically what our, our view is that all Me Too is not the same. And like right. when yeah. we hear phrases like all women should be believed, I'm like, no, listen to. Yeah, but you don't know if they're telling the truth or not. Yeah. No, you know, I, you I, I hate know, that. You're not, it's that guilty. It's like literally you're guilty already. And that's Period. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But you know who I did meet was Epstein. Oh, oh what? Oh what? God. What details? Yeah. I met Jeffrey Epstein at a dinner at his house. Uh, my friend Bobby Slayton, comic, very funny comedian, called me. He said, uh, "You want to go? We got this uh, Jeffrey Epstein. He's got great wine. A really <laughs> nice house on the, uh, the east east side. He saw me work. He really thinks I'm funny. He thinks you're really funny. It's going to be just you, me." Woody Allen, Soon Yi, David Brenner, uh, somebody else. I can't remember. Oh, Dick Cavett. Oh, my goodness. So it was kind of like, wow, okay. And I didn't know who Epstein was. And I go there. This house is like insane. Okay. It's like between Madison and uh, Fifth. Mm -hmm. And in the 60s, the door opens and he... There's something weird, you know, you know, so he shows you that he's got this um, whiteboard with a bunch of scribblings and some some countries' names, a bunch of stuff on it. And he goes, the Israeli defense minister was here last night and the, he was demonstrating uh, to us how they would do something if uh, if there was an attack. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, for starters, you go, wow, all right. Well, <laughs> the house is not enough, mm. you know. I've, I've got money. I I know the Israeli defense minister, um, so we go in, and uh, I'm sitting across from Woody. I know, and Sunyi, and they were like, I, whatever's going on between them, they seem very happy. <laughs> they were very attentive to each other. Mm-hmm. So I don't fucking know. So I'm sitting there. I certainly wasn't worried about it at the time. Things hadn't completely exploded, but I knew that, you know, there'd been the thing about, you know, he shouldn't be with her and okay, and I get that. But, you know, and then it's David Brenner who's very, and the rest are funny and such so funny me, you know, and Cabot is funny. And uh, so, and then there's these girls who are serving us. They're very, they're young, but. I didn't have any sense of them being young, underage, okay? Okay. And if they were or not or whatever. Uh, but there were a number of them. It was a gaggle. And they were all beautiful. And to the point where, and this is one of those ones, do you, you know, of the being woke or not, okay? So, I'm, but I will say, these girls, I, I don't really, th- you know, I don't have thoughts about them because... I feel like they're a different species. <laughs> they're they're so attractive. They're in another category. 
uh, and I am not in that category. <laughs> you know, I'm in, I'm in over here. I'm in the barnyard. Uh, they are on, they're in Narnia. <laughs> um, so I, so I didn't really think, but but it, it, but I didn't think at the at the point in time did I think, oh, these are these girls are young. I thought they were young. How does he? How do you get these cool waitresses? Or I don't how know. do you get these cool? Yeah, you know, and they and that they're you know if they're in college, you know that's really what I thought. And then there was a really kind of attractive um, woman, not uh, not Jelaine. No, no, a really uh, kind of a good-looking blonde who was apparently from Sweden and a uh, doctor who was also there who kind of was coming in and out. And I thought, now I was really interested in her and um, she, but I thought that she, this will give you my sense of stuff, you know, this is really why I'm a detective. I thought she was a girlfriend. And, uh, and then David Blaine showed up, the magician, and then the gaggle went, flocked over to him because uh, he's he's in that Narnia group, and um, and they he did, and he did his, his some stuff, some magic, and then and then Dick Cavett did some magic, and then David Brenner made fun of Dick Cavett. It was very then it was funny. It was then there was there were moments it was just great, and, and it would go from great to strange to great, and um, especially with that group. And Bobby Slayton is very very funny. Uh, and we, we all talked for a while and, um, and the wine was spectacular. The wine is kind of like, holy shit, this is, uh, this. So I'm like, I'm, you know, you can't, I can't, I'm not going to see this again for a while. And I'm doing all right at this point. You know, I'm doing well. My career's rolling along, but this is big, big wine here. So, oh my gosh. I, I leave there and I, uh, with Bobby, and he goes, you know, he's probably going to invite us back. And I said, well, that'll be good. He invited us back about six months later. And by that time, you know, the memory was, the wine didn't trump everything. He was too weird for me. Uh, and uh, and I'm just like, you know, I'm, I, like I said to Bobby, you know, I'm, later on, it was like, I'm glad he didn't invite me to go on a plane somewhere. But he was so strange to me. But you know his charm was that it is that weird. It's like it was a really great scratched album. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's wild. Yeah, that was something. I never get to tell that story because uh, you know it's just it, it, we, where do you get to bring it up? Well, yeah, it's yeah. a good story. I hope I hope it's cool that you told it to us because you know it's, it's. I am. I'm glad. Oh, good, oh, good, good. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, no, I am. I'm glad we. Uh, good. No, I it, had no idea. Because it goes into that whole Me Too thing and that, and what you see, right? And what you think, and what you, and then all of a sudden they were going, well, you know, these girls were, and I'm like, because at this point they're all older. This group had, that had was filing suit was already. But I didn't know, uh, wow, if these girls were, you know, underage, wow. Well, that's our show. Thanks to our pal, Louis Black. Hey, do yourself a favor and take a listen to Lou's Rantcast podcast, where he shares his fans' complaints and annoyances. 
For more details about all things Lou, upcoming tours, TV appearances, and if you want to buy his cursing button and other merch, go to lewisblack.com. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt, produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt, and recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. Be sure to check out The Giles Files on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And write us a review. Tell us what you think. We want to hear from you. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Giles Files. Okay? Bye. Hoda Media Production.